man. This, this whole, like, I don't know why today preaching just feels so surreal. Like I'm just really trying to appreciate the moment, right? Because for sure there's a lot of, like, nervousness, a lot of anxiety, right? It's like, I don't want to make a fool out of myself, you know? Got a lot of that going on. But also, what a great privilege, first and foremost, to just be able to teach anyone anything. But especially that we are gathered together to talk about God, to talk about our faith, and that God has graced me with the ability and the opportunity to share a message with you this morning. And so you could have been anywhere else, but this Sunday you are here with me, and I'm grateful for your attendance. <sighs> so I'm just giving it a minute to simmer a little bit. All right. So we're approaching August, getting into like the middle of summer, although here in Florida it's been like 105, so it feels like it's, we've been like 10 feet from the sun for the past like three weeks. I don't really know what's going on with the weather, but I need, like God, I need you to just like... 99, you know, like, good Lord, it has been brutal. But August brings, my sports fans know where I might be going. Yeah, August brings football. Training camp, we're approaching, we're getting ready for preseason. Some of y'all ain't interested, it's all good. Just hang with me for a second. I'm, 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 I'm gonna take you somewhere, all right? So in the spirit of preseason and training camp, preparing to start, I want to tell you a story, okay? Maybe some of you are familiar with this story. Super Bowl 54, a game played between the Kansas City Chiefs, uh, fan, okay, <laughs> Kansas City Chiefs and the San Francisco 49ers, all right? Okay, so here we go. The Chiefs started off with the ball, but they were unable to score, so they had to punt the ball away. The 49ers get the ball. And the 49ers put together one of the most beautiful drives. They go nearly the full length of the field. But the Chiefs' defense is on the field, encouraging one another. Bend, but don't break. See, they, they gave up a lot of yards. Nevertheless, bend, but don't break. And that's exactly what they did. They were able to stop the 49ers from scoring a touchdown. But the Niners were able to kick a field goal. So now the score is 3-0, to zero, still early in the game. Chiefs get the ball back. They wasted no time going down the field. Over the course of a few plays, they make it all the way to the opponent's 15-yard line. So if you're not a football fan, that means they need 15 more yards, and they're going to score a touchdown. So it's first and 10 from the 15. First play they run, unproductive. No yards gained, but none lost. Okay. Second play they run, Patrick Mahomes drops back. He's scanning the field. He looks left. He looks right. Everyone is covered. He tries to step up into the pocket, but the defense is putting pressure on him. He's sacked. Luckily, he got back to the line of scrimmage. So it's still about 10 yards to go. They maybe lost a little bit. But now it's third down, 10 to go from the 15. Again, Patrick Mahomes receives the snap. He steps back. He looks left. He looks right. Everyone is covered, but this time he finds a seam and he takes off running. He goes from the 15 to the 10 to the 5, and it looks like he might have the first down, but when he crosses the line, he's hit, 
drops the ball, fumbles it, it bounces backwards and out of bounds. So now it's fourth down. Let me read a stat for you. A team's success rate to convert a fourth down to a first down or a score is about 50% when that fourth down is for short yardage. However, NFL teams go for it only about 20% of the time. That's wild. But the Chiefs decided that they would not be a part of the 20%, right? So they, they come back. The offense comes back on the field. They run this look. I wanted to explain the play to you, but, like, me using words to explain what transpired would just, like, not do it any justice. You can go and look the play up. It's like a ring around the rosy kind of thing that they did. But they lined up, and that play, they got the first down, and on the very next play, they scored a touchdown. Now, the Chiefs actually trailed most of that game. But that drive, oh, come on, somebody. That drive set the tone for the mindset that they were going to carry through that game. See, the Super Bowl only happens once a year. Now, some of y'all maybe live with football fanatics, and the way that they're screaming at the TV every Sunday, you might think it's the Super Bowl, but it only happens once a year. The Chiefs knew that, and so they made up their mind that they were going to lay everything on the line, take all of the necessary risks, and win no matter what, and that's exactly what they did with the final score of 31 to 20. Now, I love sports, I love competition, so to me, that's a really cool story. But how many of you know we didn't come here to talk about football this morning? See, life is like this story. You start off with a plan. You start off with good intentions. You're going in a particular direction. You meet stiff opposition. All of a sudden, things are not going as you planned them to go. The hardship is a little bit more difficult than you expected it to be. Maybe you begin to be anxious and fearful and depressed that it's not playing out the way that you envisioned it. But listen, I'm here to tell you this morning that in spite of all of the odds, in spite of all of the difficulty that we have set before us, we should go for it. Listen to me, you will find life when you go for it. So let's open up your Bibles if you have them. Our text this morning is out of 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Give you a chance to turn there. Ain't nobody turn. I don't hear no papers flapping. Y'all on your phones and, you know, it's all good. Go ahead and click. Go ahead and click to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We got one in the house. <laughs> We're going to start off verse 24, very familiar portion of scripture. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not become disqualified for the prize. If you're taking notes this morning, the title of the message is I'm going for it. Can you say it with me? I'm going for it. Amen. 
Let us pray. Heavenly Father, as I said earlier, Lord, still it's resonating with me, God, just the gratitude for the opportunity that I have to share your word with your people. Father, this is your house. Lord, this morning I ask that nothing be done except for what you want to be done, Lord God. Let nothing be said except for what you want to be said, Lord God. And let us all leave here with fresh revelation, fresh faith, growing and maturing as you have desired for us. God, we thank you for all that you will do this morning in advance. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. So, Christian, what do you mean by I'm going for it? Well, I'm glad you asked. What I did is I put together a definition just to kind of help us to be on the same page during our time. It's a two-part definition, so let's get into this first part. Going for it is the relentless and wise application of skill and focus towards the end goal of inheriting all that God has for you. Let me say it again. Going for it is the relentless and wise application of skill and focus towards the end goal of inheriting all that God has for you. Now, I use the word relentless on purpose, and maybe some of you are thinking, ah, that sounds a little extreme. And maybe you're right. But the longer I live, the more I realize that life is so full of nuance. It's so full of complexity. And oftentimes, we encounter very, very difficult situations. See, the trials of life are not going to relent. You'll never wake up and everything be in order. You'll never, you'll never plan out your day and all those things go according to the plan. Like, parents, help me out. Can you imagine, like, you wake up and the kids got up before you and, like, actually, like, bathed on their own? And then they, like, proceeded to clean the house and they made you breakfast? They're, like, listening to classical music and studying, you know, for their exam. Like, it doesn't happen. That's not how life goes. On this side of eternity, we have trials. Sickness is a very real part of life on this side of eternity. Suffering, an unfortunate reality of life on this side of eternity. Loss, a very real part of life that we are living. The trials won't relent. The enemy won't relent. You think the devil's taking days off? Feet kicked back, trying to figure out what he's going to watch on Netflix? No, he's at you every day, every moment throughout the day. You are in a battle for your soul. But let me tell you something. Don't you love when we got good news on the other side? God won't relent. God will not relent in kindness, in mercy, in justice, in faithfulness, in forgiveness, in healing, in deliverance, in grace, God will not relent. Listen, if all those parties are unwilling to relent, then we also must not relent. We have to be relentless because it will take a lifetime of consistent and focused effort to truly obtain what God has for you. 
See, Jesus said the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And I'm telling you, you find life when you go for it. Matthew chapter 10, verse 22. You will be hated by everyone because of me. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Can you imagine with me for a second that you're in some kind of competition? I enjoy football. I always like the parallel in my mind always goes there immediately. It's the fourth quarter. Maybe there's a minute or two left to go. You've been losing the whole game. I mean, you've just been down and out the whole game, in, in dire straits the entire game. And somehow, some way, like some miracle, you find a way to win the game. You ain't going to share the trophy with the losers. Nobody's going to find the team that lost to give them some consolation prize because they had the lead for most of the game. No, it's the one who endures to the end that's victorious. The one who endures to the end that will be saved. Now, to drive this point home in my research and my prayer time, God gave me a prophetic song. And what I want us to do together this morning is I want us to sing this prophetic song. Now, you're thinking, Christian, God gave you the song. How are we going to all sing this prophetic song? I don't know the words. Guys, it's a prophetic song. God's going to give you the words. Now, our brother Alan is going to lead us off, but I want us all to sing together. Help us out, Alan. Are the champions, my friends. Oh, come on, come on, come on, y'all. We'll keep on fighting till the end. Come on, finish it out for me. We are the champions. We are the champions. No time for losers, cause we are the champions of the world. Yeah, you sound great. Give yourself a round of applause. <laughs> yeah, right. I bet you didn't think you were going to be singing Queen and Church, but here we are. <laughs> Praise Jesus. <laughs> but listen, think about the words for a second. We are the champions. We will keep fighting until the end. No time for losers. We are the champions if we fight to the end. This is why I use the word relentless. This is why we have to be relentless. We have to be relentless in our parenting. And parenting is hard. But I have an obligation to pass down the faith, the experiences that God has given me. We have to be relentless in our relationships this means I won't give up on you when we have a disagreement. Can somebody say amen? We have to be relentless in marriage. And it's why I believe that I do is in the present tense. Because every morning I wake up, I do. In trials, I do. When it's good, I do. When it's bad, I do. We must be relentless in business because I want to work like Jesus is my employer. And we must be relentless in faith, God, I trust you even when I can't see it and even when it makes no sense to me. Paul says it this way, Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. 
Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we'll reap a harvest if we do not give up now. He said proper time, y'all. But how many of you are like me? You sow a seed today and you expect a harvest yesterday. It's a real struggle. Some of you maybe are more patient, but you feel like you're sowing and sowing and sowing and investing and watering and sowing, but you're not seeing the fruit of your labor. Listen, I I have a word for you. You can help me with this one, too. Let the redeemed of the Lord say... Come on, come on, with a little conviction. Let the redeemed of the Lord say? One more time. Let the redeemed of the Lord say? Yes, because if you sow, you will reap in due time. Can you put the mastery curve on the screen for me, please? So this, I know it's kind of washed out, but I I think you guys can see it. But this funky-looking graph that's on the screen right now is called the mastery curve. And this is actually, um, it's, it's kind of an image of what experts in personal growth believe growth actually looks like. Now, you have the, the, the flat part of it, and that's the plateau. That's the time when you're sowing. That's the time when there's no sign of growth. That's the time when you're watering. And what I want to challenge you to do is stay consistent. Stay faithful. Stay at your post. I know what it's like. I know what it's like to experience growth, excitement, joy, extreme pleasure. I know what it's like to be on a plateau. If you really look at it, the plateau is like the longest part of this graph. Most of it's just flat. This is the nature of growth. But if you're faithful... If you wait on the Lord, if you make the investment, there's the rise. This is the harvest. This is the time when we're gathering. This is the time when we're reaping. This is the time when you're seeing the fruits of your labor. But listen, we get all excited. Yeah, we we made it. Yeah, we're growing. Uh, mm. Because right after that rise, a little bit of a fall there, isn't there? Regression also part of the growth process. This is the time when you consolidate what God has taught you. This is the time when we clear the fields and we prepare to sow again. But I want to point your attention to one more thing. See that first plateau? See the second one? The second one's higher. See, a lot of times it feels like I'm starting all over. A lot of times it feels like I'm back at square one. A lot of times it feels like drudgery and we're doing the same thing over and over and over again. But that's not exactly what's happening. No, you took all of the growth. You took all of the the reward for your labor. You've taken all of that and consolidated it. And yes, there was a little bit of regression, but God, by his grace, helped you to take a step forward. And if you continue to take that step forward and that step forward, you will find yourself at that high point that you were aiming for the whole time. James chapter 1 verse 12. Blessed is the one who perseveres under the trial. 
Because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Everybody say after the test. Yes, this, this is essential. You don't get your grades before you're tested. Like, how could we know how good you are unless you're tested? God's not confused about who we are. God's not in denial about who we are. God's not, like, wondering what it was that he put in you. We're the ones who are clueless. We don't know what we're doing half the time. We're the ones wandering. We're lost half the time. It's like, oh, God, what's going on? Why have you forsaken me? He ain't go nowhere. That's the purpose of the test. It's not for the teacher. It's for the student. It's so that I know what work needs to be done. It's so I know what weaknesses there are. It's so that I know how to apply my efforts to accomplish the goal that God has set out for me. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. This week, I fell in love with that verse. You know what Paul is saying here? I gave one lifetime of consistency for an inheritance that I could not have gained in 10 million lifetimes. One. One lifetime of faithfulness. One lifetime of of devotion. See, I, I think I remember somewhere in the scripture it says that there is none righteous, no, not one. So at the end of it all, there's no way that I inherit a crown of righteousness because of something that I've done. One lifetime of faithfulness. God is giving us a gift that we could never earn in our own ability. It's worth the work, church. It will take a lifetime of consistent and focused effort. You know, I thought about it. The, the Israelites inherited the promised land piece by piece. We are going to inherit the promises of God in the same way. And I began to think about my marriage. I know my wife exponentially better than I did when we first got married. I would be a fool to think that I know her completely. See, there's more to be inherited. There's more to be taken a hold of. My children. It, it was amazing to me watching my children come through development and then to be born and the fact that, like, some of their personality was already evident. It's, like, so strange because I just thought, like, oh, they just come out like a blob, you know, and then it's, like, they just kind of develop this personality. It's, like, no, man, they show up with personality. But I would be a fool to think that because I was able to identify some of their personality that I know exactly what they're going to be and who they're going to be. No, they're going to grow. They're going to experience life. They're going to go through changes. They're going to have their own challenges. They're going to develop that. They're going to learn how to express that. My friendships. 
the very nature of friendship is that you enter into a relationship with someone you don't know. But it grows, and there's more to be had. And I value the richness of the relationships that I have in this place. I value the time spent. I value the times that we've prayed. I value the times that we've linked up. But I want more. And there's more to be had. And this is even true of ourselves. In the past, like, three years, I've done so much work on just, like, learning who I am, finding my identity, figuring out what the gift is, figuring out what the expression looks like. I'd be foolish to think that I have attained. I'd be foolish to think that I have uncovered all of the complexity that a divine and infinite God has placed into me. No, there's more to be had. So as I said, this going for it is a two-part definition. I'm going to give you the second part this morning. The person going for it weighs the associated risks against the value of the goal. This is important. The person going for it weighs the associated risks against the value of the goal. Numbers chapter 13, verse 33. We saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. Now, I'm just a little confused, y'all. Didn't God say he was giving them the promised land? I think that's what I, giving it to them. See, what happened is the 10 spies, 12 went in, the 10 who came back with the bad report, they calculated all risk and no value. Church, sometimes we are so afraid to lose that we don't live. We do nothing. We stay small. We stay diminished. We hide our talents. Now, I thought it was interesting, and I'm not going to read it all for you, but I thought it was interesting in the parable of the talents. The man who received one, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown, and gathering where you have not scattered seed. Church, be careful when you know something that God didn't tell you. Be careful when you make assumptions about other people's motivation. Be careful when you have a bad opinion about another person or about the way that a scenario played out. See, we must be careful about rumors and especially the ones that we create. He goes on, he says, so I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. Now, this is what was interesting to me. If the servant was truly afraid of the master, he would have remembered that he also belonged to the master, not just the gold. He belonged to the master. He should have done what the master expected. We belong to Jesus. 
Didn't Jesus endure a little bit of difficulty? Yeah, a little bit, right? A little bit of discomfort, a little bit of hardship. Didn't Jesus do things that he would have rather not done? Like we have the transcript. We should do with the kingdom of heaven what God intended for us to do. But see, I'm convinced, and maybe I could be convinced otherwise, but for now, I'm convinced that it wasn't fear that the servant was demonstrating. That's what he called it. It wasn't fear that the ten spies demonstrated. Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, for God has not given us a spirit of Mm. Yeah, right? How about this? Cowardice. A little bit more of an accurate translation of the word there. God has not given us a spirit of cowardice, but of power, love, and self-control. See, I'm afraid of a whole bunch of stuff. <laughs> Just is what it is. I'm no coward. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm afraid of a whole bunch of stuff. I'm not eager to back down. I'm not turning the other way. I'm not running from it. I'm scared. We're just going to go for it. The good news is, is that if you are suffering from cowardice this morning, God's prescription is courage. Book of Acts. I think y'all might be familiar with that one. Chapter 23, verse 11. The following night, the Lord stood near Paul and said, take courage. As you have testified about me in Jerusalem, you must also testify in Rome. So if you take courage, you will have a testimony. Second Chronicles chapter 15, verse 7. But you take courage. Do not let your hands be weak, for your work shall be rewarded. So if you take courage, you will have a reward for your work Matthew chapter 9, verse 22, Jesus turned and saw her. Take courage, daughter. Your faith has healed you. And the woman was cured from that very hour. So if you take courage, you will have healing for your frailty. Mark chapter 10, verse 49, Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called the blind man. Take courage. Get up. He's calling you. If you Take courage. You will be called into the presence of God. Psalms chapter 27, verse 13. I believe I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Oh, hallelujah, somebody. See, we spend a lot of time waiting on heaven, but God said, I got goodness for you on this side of eternity. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. If you take courage, you will see his goodness. See, courage emboldens us to go for it and you will find life when you go for it. I am closing musicians if you would make your way down here this morning. that is truly the thing that I want you to take home this morning, is that you will find life when you go for it. Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, 
When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy went and sold all that he had and bought that field. Church, I'm not talking about reckless abandon, although there could be an argument made for reckless abandon because God can be trusted. But I'm not talking about reckless abandon. I'm not talking about being irresponsible. I'm not talking about going crazy. What I'm talking about is taking true consideration for what's at stake. Listen to me. The gifts that God has given you. The spouse. The children. The career. The abilities. The wisdom. The church. The friends. The faith. The things that God has given you. They are not better entrusted to someone else. They are not better off in someone else's hands. God gave them to you because he knew your ability to steward what God deposited in you. This is why suicide is a lie. This is why it's never worth it to take your life. Most certainly, you may feel like you're at the end of your rope. Certainly, you may feel like the color has gone out of life. There's no vibrancy. There's no point in continuing. You may feel like you're taking value rather than adding value. You may feel like you're all alone, like you're cornered, like you're without hope and without help. But it's a lie. God is for you. God is for you. God be for me, who can be against me? God is for you. I just want to say it one more time. God is for you. Don't give up. Others are counting on you. Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. So in everything you do, so in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Church, the world needs you to take your place in shared humanity. The world needs you to be connected in community because you have a role to play. As I was making preparations, I began to think about the time when Pastor Daniel asked me to pray about being the lead usher for a period of time. Y'all know what I didn't do? Pray about being the lead usher. I just said yes. Why? Well, Daniel's my homeboy. And I knew that if I didn't do it, he would. That man doesn't need another thing to do. Now, all things are lawful, but not all are profitable. I could have took my ease. I could have said it's okay for me to just show up and pay tithes and give offerings and listen to a message and go home. I could have said I don't want to accept all of that because of all these inconveniences. But we're talking about going for it. We're talking about investing effort and energy towards the purpose that God has for you. How can I walk in here Sunday after Sunday, look that man in his eye and say, you're my friend. And let him take on more of a burden. No, 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 no. Doesn't the scripture teach us to bear one another's burdens? Philippians chapter 2 verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility... 
value others above yourself. And I'm just getting a little emotional for whatever reason. But I do. Church, I, I value others. I do. Scripture doesn't say you have no value. I'm not saying put yourself out. I'm not saying take on more than what you can handle. I'm just saying maybe you have a friend who's in need. Maybe you're a part of a community that's in need. Do we continue to walk past the needs? No. It's time for us to rise up, to accept the challenge, to go for it, to meet the needs of those in our community, to share the gospel with them, to push away the fear, to push through all of the hardship. Someone is waiting on you. Others are counting on you. But the good news is God is with you. Zechariah chapter 4 verse 6. So he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit. Going for it will take a lifetime of consistent and focused effort. Church, I can promise you because God has promised us, we will inherit his promises, but only piece by piece. So we have to be relentless and never give up. Yes, there are risks involved, but we weigh them against the value value is this. You will find life when you go for it. Others are counting on you, but God is with you. Thank you for your time this morning. God bless you, church. Pastor, would you come?